Well, hello again, friends. How are you today? Tonight, uh, we are going to feel our way through the scripture. I'm a little bit despondent tonight, but I have a great lesson for you. And we're going to finish, we're going to do part two of what we started on last week, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It's a very important lesson because many of the false doctrines, a lot of, you know, the speaking in tongues and the laying on of hands and, and a lot of the miraculous stuff that you see going about, a lot of that can be dealt with tonight with this one lesson. And I hope that tonight, after we are finished with it, we can put some of those erroneous doctrines to bed and just get rid of them completely. We're going to focus on the Word of God. It's the core of our broadcast, and, and, and we're going to just focus. But before we begin, um, I'd like to give a shout-out to a few friends. You know, I, I really earnest, my friend, God bless you and continue to keep you... Uh, I won't start, but God bless you, my friend, Ernest. Virgil, thank you for your friendship and your support. Leonard, as always. Okay, Gene, you remember I, I gave you a little shout out before, but thank you for your support. Chris, I have so many friends that are so faithful in this ministry, and I want them to know that as we are rewarded for the work that we do, God keeps score, and he knows what your input has been, and so many others, Lou and Tim and Ken, and I can go on and on. Alan is in Texas, Mr. Frosty, and Alan is always standing by. And, you know, I'm going to start taking some questions online here. Um, on last week, uh, uh, a few friends, um, you know, sent a shout-out, and I was supposed to give them a shout-out on the air. And I, I, you know, you're not going to expect that much. You know, it was Chris and Sharon from Norwalk, you know, in that area. They said hello. And I remember Chris and Sharon, okay? They are friends of mine, okay? So it's good to know that old friends are listening, okay? I've been to their home. I know where they live, okay? And um, we've been friends. In fact, um, we went down to, to see Osama Dak Dak, I believe it was, together, okay? Um, not Osama, Yusama, you know, just bear with me. I mean, my memory is okay, but, you know, so I, I remember you, and God bless you. It's good to know that you're still here fighting the fight with us. Now, let's pray. Woodrow, I love you. God bless you for all you do. Jesse, you know where you are in my heart. Tim, friend as always, and so many others, let's pray. Gracious Lord, our God, Father, we thank you for this day. We've been rejoicing and glad in it. It just seems like we are compulsive complainers. We complain when it's cold. We complain when it's hot. We complain when it rains. Oh, Lord, there is almost no pleasing us, but we just thank you for your patience with us because that's the least of our trouble. Lord, the sin that we are, get in the way of our worship and our fellowship. It gets in the way of everything that we do. And the more we come closer to you, the more we realize that, 
Oh, we look forward to that day with great anticipation when you shall appear and we shall be like you and we will see you as you are and we will leave these sinful bodies behind. But while we're at home in these bodies, we know in a physical sense we are absent from thee. But we thank you for blessing us and tolerating us even though we might stink at times to the highest heaven. And so we come confessing that we've sinned against you, O God. All we like sheep have gone astray, every one of us, your children, the ones who are yet to be saved, O oh God, we pray for them that you will soften their hearts and they will come to realize that you are a compassionate Savior. You are God that loves and you're so patient with all of us. We thank you for all of life's journey. We realize that disappointments help us to become stronger. And we realize that when we do have some victories in life, O oh Lord, all of them belong to you because this is the only area of our life that's worth anything. Thank you for our supporters. Thank you for our great nation, O oh God. Continue to bless America the way that you have. We are grateful, O oh God. We take nothing for granted. We are crying out unto you for our president and for his entire cabinet. It seems like they are under siege right now, O oh Lord. But, but as we look things over, we thank you for his support of the nation of Israel. We thank you for his support of the institutions of our great nation, O oh God, because we still are one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Lord, there are cracks in our armor, but we know that if we put our trust in you, we can fix these things. There will be no racial harmony or unity without a relationship with thee. For it's your blood that runs through our veins, and we can't help but love. Oh, God, you are a God of love, so your children are children of love. And we just thank you for that love we have one for another. We don't care about race, oh, God, race baiting and, and identity politics. That means nothing to us as Christians. We have to examine a man's deeds. We look at right and we look at wrong. And so we stand with you, oh, God. There are times we stand with our president and times that we don't because we stand with you. But we know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomsoever you will. So we pray for ourselves and our children, O oh God, that you would show them some compassion because so many of them are unbelievers and arrogant in their unbelief. So, O oh God, we pray that you will soften their hearts and that our love will begin to permeate and then your love will take over and they too will come to know you as Lord and God. So bless you, and we bless all of they that are listening tonight, and we ask that you would bless us all with this message. In Jesus' name, we realize that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by your word. So we ask these blessings from your word, O oh God. Amen. Tonight, we're going to pick up where we left off on the keys of the kingdom. I started this message by telling you, you know, uh, about an interaction that Jesus had in Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 13 through 20. Now, now, this occurrence is at a time when no one knew who he was. He was yet not declaring that he was the Christ. And we'll pick that story up, and we will just skim through it and bring you back to where we were. It was there. It says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist and some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, that is son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he went on to say, And I will give unto thee, Simon Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples, verse 20, that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. You see, it was a declaration that came from heaven. It was God the Holy Spirit who was the one who inspired Simon Peter. He had no idea what he was saying, all right? But Jesus charged them not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So at that point, Jesus began to work on Simon Peter to prepare him for the task at hand that Peter would be given not a key, but Jesus said, I will give, that's verse 19. He says, I will give unto thee the keys plural, of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter was going to be issued three keys that he would have to utilize to open one door to the Jewish believers to come into the kingdom. And then sometime later, he would open a door for the half-Jew, half-Gentile, the Samaritans, as they were called, and then Peter would use the key the third time to open the door to the Gentiles. And then the church would be, can we say, would be occupied. And then what would happen is, but here is how it worked. So Peter was going to be given three keys. No one else, just Simon Peter. It'll help us to understand what transpired on the day of Pentecost. It'll help us to understand what happened in Acts chapter 8 when Philip went down to Samaria. And it'll help us to understand what happened at Cornelius's house. Because if you have a clear understanding of these three events, then no one can deceive you with speaking in tongues and all of these sign gifts, and all of this stuff, this name it and claim it stuff. We have all of these false doctrines, but the greatest of all false doctrines is that you have to live right in order to be saved, or you have to live right in order to stay saved, okay? Salvation has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do you mean by that, Pastor Noel? Well, if there was a bill that judgment had that we couldn't pay, then Jesus paid it in full. If there was a ladder, you know, you heard climbing Jacob's ladder. If there was a ladder that we needed to climb to get to heaven and to get to God and to get to righteousness, Jesus came down that ladder. So everything that was necessary for your faith and your righteousness and your holiness, actually we receive from Jesus Christ. You can bring nothing 
to the party. You came, you come to him naked as you are, you forget everything, and you have to accept what God is willing to grant unto you. All right? He that have the son have life. He that have not the son have not life. We'll clear all of that up in a minute. But Jesus gave Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, he nicknamed him Peter at that point, the stone so to speak. Upon this rock, I'll build my church, your statement, my dear son. And now Jesus begins to pull the plug out of Peter's life. I thought it was C.S. Lewis. It wasn't Spurgeon, but it might have been C.S. Lewis who said, before God can use a man truly, he usually breaks him deeply. God has to strip off the outer veneer that we come to him with, and he has to shape us and mold us into the image of his son so that he could use us. And guess how Jesus was used in all humility. So this message, as we look at it, all right, so now Peter is going to utilize this key three times. So what does Jesus do? Jesus teaches him lessons in threes, okay, so that Peter would come to understand at some point, probably when he uses the key the third time, is when he comes to realize exactly what has just transpired. You know, a lot of things that God is working out through our lives, we have no idea about, but we'll understand it on the other side. Someone said we'll understand it better by and by. Sometimes you're going through the process and it doesn't seem like anything is going to work out in your favor. And by the time God gets finished with it, you say, wow, what an awesome God we serve. So here's the situation. So now Jesus is beginning to teach Simon Peter. Okay, it was Peter. Peter was always with Jesus. When they went to the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Peter who said, let us build three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Jesus said, look, the work is not up here. It's in the valley. The father spoke at that point and said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Cut it out. Stop talking and listen is what he was saying at that point. But could you imagine? So it was always Simon Peter. When it was time to ride into Jerusalem, Jesus sent Peter and John. You'll find, you know, a colt tied that has never been utilized before and loose him and bring him to me. If, if anybody asks you who needs, just tell them the master have need of it. Okay, boom. So they brought him the colt and he rode into the Jerusalem. You're familiar with the passage. Then it was Simon Peter on the day that they were going to eat the Seder. Jesus sent Peter and John, and he told them, go into the city and you'll find a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he enter and say unto the good man of the house, the master hath need of your guest chamber, and he'll show you a large upper room furnished there, make ready. So Peter had a lot to do that day, okay? Him and John went into the city. They saw the man bearing the pitcher of water. Men didn't carry water. So you, you picture this. So they follow him into the house, walk into somebody's home, and the guy is saying, okay, you guys must be Jesus. You know, I mean, Jesus sets everything up. He makes every appointment possible, doesn't he? But then I wonder, why didn't he make one in Bethlehem? You know, if I were in your place, oh, Lord, in a stable you know, that's embarrassing to us, okay? I, I just think it was unfair. He came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God. So even though he made himself no reputation while he was here and was made in the likeness of men and as a servant, I mean, come on. You know, you're working everything out, but you don't care about yourself. 
And that's the self-sacrifice that he's looking for from us. Okay. And, and but he set the example, didn't he? He lived it. Okay. So here is what happened now. So the first time Jesus is about to teach Peter one of these lessons in three, okay, is after supper. Okay, we what where the Holy Communion was established or the Lord's Supper, you know, the night before his crucifixion on that Thursday evening when he ate the Seder with his disciples. You know, there were a lot of people in the upper room. He taught them a lot of lessons there. Okay, some important lessons for us. But, you know, we bring out, you know, foot washing and all that kind of stuff. You know, I said to some of the members one day, I'm going to do a foot washing service. Everybody said, tell us when you're doing it so we won't come. Okay. And, and, you know, I'm just saying, you know, we have gravitated towards a lot of the activity that happened in that upper room. But it wasn't put there for that. It was just that Jesus was humbling himself to wash his disciples' cruddy feet. Okay. Peter said, we need to be washed by you. Jesus said, Either you let me wash your feet or you have nothing to do with me. That's the same thing he said to John the Baptist. You baptize me, okay? John said, but I need to be baptized by you. So we all understand who Jesus is and all of us, we, we blush at his feet, okay? All members of the body of Christ do, including those of that day. So Jesus tells them as they're leaving the upper room, all right? Now, first of all, Peter said, here are a couple of swords. Okay, wait a minute. He is telling them that all of you are going to be offended because of me this night. Okay, read it in Matthew 26, 31. Jesus said unto them, all of you shall be offended of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Okay, scattered abroad. And after I'm risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. That's what Peter said. You know, I, I like him, okay, because I like his confidence. But you got to be careful that your confidence is in the Lord and not in your ability, all right? And Jesus said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, that tonight, this night, before the cock crows, you would have denied me three times. Before 5 a.m., Simon Peter, you're going to deny even knowing me three times. Okay, don't forget, he's going to use the key three times, and he has to get these lessons in threes. He has to. You know, there's something about in the, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. There's something about three in the scripture. I mean, no matter how you look at it, you need witnesses in order to convict somebody, you know, things of that nature. But it was always three, all right? And everything that God did, you know, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and kingdom. So it is Paul who is charging, who is preaching, and he's invoking God and the Son of God. So you, there you have three witnesses, and you will always have that in Scripture. If somebody come to you and try to teach you something about the Word of God, and they pull out a passage that you say, where did you find that? And they only have it in one place. You can't build a doctrine on that. You got to be able to find it at least in three different places, all right? 
And the scripture is not written where you can go with any strange doctrines because you misunderstood something because you'll be able to take it someplace else and see the same thing and take it a third place and find the same thing. So Peter was about to be introduced to lessons in threes. And you're familiar with what happened that morning. They came and they arrested Jesus. But even so, Peter took that sword that he took in that upper room. You know, whoever the man's house was, where the servant was, you know, where they made ready and stuff. There were swords up there. And Simon Peter took one of the swords. And Malchus, the high priest servant, reached out and tried to grab Jesus after Judas kissed him. And Simon Peter drew that sword and he tried to cut this guy's helmet open. You know, the Roman soldiers and their, their, their helmet, you know, with the seam in the center. They say a good swordsman could come down the center of that seam and bust that, that you know, the helmet open and get to the meat of the situation. But Simon Peter missed altogether, and he came down the side and cut off the man's ear. Now, Jesus picked it up out of the dirt. I wonder if he blew it off or asked, do you all have a little wine or something? Let me rinse this. He just attached it to the guy's head again, and his ear was restored. Now, at that point, if I was in the band, okay, you're not under arrest. Good night, Jesus. You are Lord, aren't you? You understand what I'm saying? They're watching these miracles after Judas kisses the man, and they still can't get it, and you're still going to arrest him and take him in after he restored the high priest servant's heir? Are you kidding me? You got that kind of power? Okay. Everybody got issues. I would ask Jesus, hey, I would put my arm around Jesus, and, and, and we'd have a lot of conversation because we got family with ailments. Come on now, somebody. Okay? But nevertheless, they took him, and you're familiar with what happened. Peter followed from a distance, and he got close because he loved Jesus. He wanted to see what was going to happen to him. And wouldn't you know, immediately a young girl said, hey, that guy was with Jesus. Okay, what are you talking about? I don't know that man. I've never seen Jesus who? What Jesus? Could you imagine Simon Peter, the one who invested so much in his relationship? He left his fishing and followed Jesus. He left everything behind and followed Jesus. This same man is denying him. The one who said, if it be you, bid me to walk on you, walk to you on the water. Okay. That man who walked to Jesus in a storm and walked back to the boat with Jesus. He had mountaintop faith. This man denied Jesus three times. And the third time he denied him, Jesus was walking by and they made eye contact. You can imagine the shame. But guess what? Judas only denied him once and he tried to give back the money. In fact, he gave back the money. He threw it onto the floor. Okay, Judas didn't do that much wrong. Okay, a man realized the error of his ways. Isn't that what we do? Huh? Isn't it called repentance? How come Judas is looked upon so harshly? Huh? He was just doing God's will, okay? And in fact, he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but he realized that he had betrayed innocent blood, and remorse is what makes life go on. We all sin, and we sin grievous sins against God. But when we show remorse, and we... Uh, you know, please understand, when you're broken by it, when you come to him and you apologize for it, and you, if you have offended the individual, you see, that was maybe the problem because Judas didn't get an opportunity to, to, to actually apologize to Jesus. He went and hung himself once he knew Jesus 
was crucified, like Pastor Sutton used to say, Judah should have waited for the benediction. Peter betrayed him three times, and all three of his betrayals were as bad, if not worse, than Judas's betrayal, okay? In fact, Jesus loved Judas so much that Jesus said, while they were yet in the upper room, they said, well, Lord, is it I, when he said, one of you going to betray me? I mean, at least they were smart enough to realize that they didn't always know where Jesus was going or what Jesus was doing. And sometimes you might be hindering him rather than helping him. And they, when he said, one of you going to betray me, they all asked, is it I? Okay. They needed to know. And Jesus said to, to John and Peter, who were always near him, is the one who dips with me when I dip. Well, that must mean that Judas was sitting really close too. Now, if I knew Judas was going to betray me, you think I'd let that fool sit near me? Please understand what I'm saying here. I'm just an ordinary guy thinking like an ordinary Christian. And I'm saying to you, just knowing who is going to betray you, you know, you're going to keep him at arm's length, aren't you? You know, you understand what I'm saying. And Jude, Jesus even looked at him, let him partake of the Lord's Supper, the new feast for the church. And he looks at Judas and he says, what thou doest, do quickly. Isn't that extraordinary? Okay. You know, he's telling Judas, you're actually working with me, thinking you're working against me, you know, and all that. But yeah, you understand. But Simon Peter, this same man, okay, now, okay, he denied Jesus. So when Jesus arose from the dead, he told the women, go and tell my disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. You can only imagine Jesus had chosen this man and he said, blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. He was only preparing him as he's preparing you now. You may have failed significantly. We all have, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we fall flat on our faces from time to time. And now we have this convicting spirit inside of us, man. And sometimes it gets kind of hard because, it's kind of, hey, hurry up and can you finish this work you're doing on me, Lord Jesus, because I'm unable to do it myself. And that's when you come to that place where God really begins to shower you with blessings because now you're understanding it's not you, but it's him. Like I said, he strips off the out of an air and he shapes us and he molds us into the image of his son. And that can be a painful experience. It's like stripping the bark off of a tree. It might be fun to you, but what about the tree? Please understand what I'm saying here. So now, so Jesus restores Peter, okay? Could you imagine? Peter was the first one who went into the grave. When she went, she told them John outran Peter, but John stopped at the door. Peter ran right on in there, and he looked at everything where it lay, and he realized that Jesus was resurrected. Hallelujah. So Peter felt vindicated. You know, somehow I'll be able to apologize to Jesus. How many people in marriage or in relationships where somebody die on you, before you had the privilege of telling them, I'm sorry, or before you had the privilege of, of getting, so you, you understand what I'm saying, okay? Sometimes that can, be, that can be a horrible experience. And Simon Peter was a mess. I can only imagine until that night when Jesus said, handle me. And Simon Peter handled him. Until then, you can imagine the burden he was carrying by denying him three times. Then the Bible says, 
In John chapter 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. This is the third time that he shows himself because that first night, okay, somebody wasn't there. Thomas, doubting Thomas, wasn't there. And when, right after Jesus left on that resurrection night, okay, Thomas came, you know, the Emmaus Road guys and all them were there, or the people he had communion with that afternoon and stuff. Everybody was in that upper room, and they thought he was a ghost and stuff. But, but, but after he ate with them and fellowshiped with them and left, then Thomas came and Thomas said, look, unless I put my hand and feel the nail prints in his hand and see his feet that they have holes in them and thrust my finger in his side, I'll never believe that Jesus arose from the dead. So eight days later, while they were in one room, Jesus showed right up and he said, Thomas, come here. I don't want you faithless, but believing. He said, thrust your finger in my side. And Thomas fell down and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen, you believe. But what about they that will believe that have not seen? And that's where this message is. The just shall live by faith. So here is what happens the next time Jesus had to teach Simon a lesson. It says in John 21, the, at the Sea of Tiberias, there were together Simon, Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel, and seven or eight of them. And Peter said in verse 3, I'm going fishing. And they said unto him, we're going also with you. The ringleader now is leading them back into a backslidden vocation. All right. God called me to be a preacher, a pastor. Oh, there were times, man. Preaching doesn't really, it's not as lucrative as people think it is. All right. Okay, you are a suffering servant, just like Jesus was. People expect so much from you, you understand. And guess what? Freely you have received and freely you give. And that's just the way it is. We have to be giving people. Yes, there are some pampered pastors out there, but by and large, most of the people preaching the gospel are just doing it for love of God. And that's why the turnover is so great as of late. So many people are walking away from the ministry. But guess what? I can't walk away from Jesus. Okay. Oh, there were many times early on in my ministry, I wanted to go back to what I was doing before. Okay. And I wasn't doing that poorly for myself. But God called me to leave that stuff behind, and I did, okay? And I'm not lamenting it now. I'm just saying, hey, I wouldn't trade what I have for anything that anyone else has, because guess what? When Paul was speaking to the church in Thessalonica, he said, what is our hope or our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Are not even you in the presence of Christ at his coming? Oh, I can't wait. I have been leading people to Christ for 30-something years now, and I'm telling you, man, if, if I could receive a dollar, just give me one buck from all of the people that I've witnessed to and prayed with who I know have turned their lives over to the Lord. Give me a dollar for every one of them, and I think I'll be okay, okay? I, I really mean that sincerely, okay? I, I mean, it's just the most amazing thing. So that is where I have spent my time, and wherever I go, Yes, there's not a trail of dead bodies. There's a trail of living souls, living saints, where I have been. And, you know, I mean, hey, there, there's no money in it. We're not doing it for money. He didn't say he was going to send it. 
He said he was going to bring it. He said, behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give unto every man according to his work. But Peter said, I'm going fishing. Okay. He's going back to his original vocation. And if they get out there and catch any fish, guess what would happen? Okay. They're probably, you know, this is not so bad after all. I mean, we're catching. That night they caught nothing. All right. And the next morning, Jesus was standing on the shore and he had a fire with fish on the fire. Okay, and they caught nothing. And he asked them, you all got any fish? They said, no, we fished all night and caught nothing. He said, well, cast your net on the other side. And they did, and the net started to, you know what, and John said, it's the Lord. So Peter took off his fisherman's coat, dove into the water, you know, impetuous Peter, okay? And then he got there, and they come there in a small boat, and there's fish on the fire, and Jesus feeds them. Don't you get it? Is what he was saying to them. I called you to be fishers of men. If you're going to fish for men, I'll supply your food. So that's what he was saying to them. And he did supply their food. And he asked them three times, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He said, then feed my sheep. Then he asked them again. Simon, son of Jonah, lovest these more than loveth me more than these? He said, Well, feed my lambs. And then when he asked him the third time, it almost broke Peter down. Okay? Because he remembers it was just the other day I denied you three times. Now you're teaching me another lesson like this. You Lord, you know I love you, is what Peter said. Jesus said, Well, then follow me. Follow me. So Peter is learning. And that's what you have in John chapter 21, okay? Now, it tells us in that text that was the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. That's also a testimony for Peter, okay? So just now, you know, just think about it for a minute, okay? Feed my sheep. So now Peter is getting a, a lesson. So now Jesus goes ahead and he hangs around for 40 days after his resurrection, probationary number, and then he leaves from the Mount of Olives where he's coming back from. And they went into an upper room to wait until the day of Pentecost, okay? They were up there for 10 days. It was 40 days after his resurrection that he left. Pentecost means 50. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the houses where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Not unknown tongues. Other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This unknown tongue stuff is satanic. It has nothing to do with God. God already confounded their speech when they built the Tower of Babel. Now at Pentecost, he is restoring them with one language, with one Savior. Please understand what's going on here. But we are talking about the day of Pentecost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know why they needed other tongues? Because they were dwelling at Jerusalem, verse 5, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. You ever hear anybody speak in tongues? 
contemporarily, huh? Like in one of these Pentecostal churches or somewhere on TV or something. Who who can understand what? You know, then they use it as a ploy because somebody will jump up and say, well, here, I'm the interpreter, and here's what God is saying. If it's not in his word, he's not saying it. He's not using that. He said, where there is tongues, they will cease. Please understand, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. He's talking about when the Bible is canonized. Before then, they even, they called prophets and the like to find out stuff, Okay. Because the word was being lived out, and Paul was going to be writing, Peter was going to be writing, our next lesson is going to be quite interesting as far as progressive revelation. But I just want you to see something. On the day of Pentecost, they didn't speak with unknown tongues. They spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the people came together and were confounded. Because every man heard them speak in his own language. What's so difficult to understand about that? Where you get all this unknown satanic stuff from? You didn't get it from there. They didn't speak with unknown tongues. In fact, every time you see tongues mentioned in scripture, if you see the word unknown with it, is italicized. And anything italicized in the King James Bible was added to help the Greek language flow into English. But they cause a lot of confusion with putting the word unknown with tongues. But you can't build a doctrine on an italicized word because it was never there. So this idea that unknown tongues is something biblical, no. That's not what happened. Okay? So Peter is the one who has the key. And guess what he does? Peter is the one who stood up. Okay, Peter is the one who told them, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall. He's talking to the Jewish people. So Peter now uses the key for the very first time. Peter is the one who is preaching. All right. And Peter sums it up by saying, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That was verse 37. Verse 38, Peter said this. Don't forget, he's talking to Jews. It's not a model for us today. He's talking to a Jewish audience. You have to get this. He said, repent. First step, John preached repentance. The Jews needed to repent. They need to turn away from the Mosaic law. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that what happened to them? It happened to all the Jews. They repented. They were baptized in the water, and at a later date, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Please understand. And then they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. But don't think that that model or that modus operandi is what God continues to use. I'll read it again, verse 38. They said, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, there are preachers out here still trying to get us to use that model. That model was only for the Jews. It wasn't for the Samaritans. It wasn't for the Gentiles. It was only for the Jews. 
So a lot of people have seized on that, you know, unsaved people trying to take, hijack what Jesus and his disciples did for their own power, like Simon in Acts chapter 8, where are we going now? So Peter opened the door on the day of Pentecost, and now Jews have entered the body of Christ. Okay, the door is open. He uses the key, the master key, and he opens the first door. He opens the door for the Jews. Okay, now any Jewish person can lead another Jewish person to Christ because now that the door is open, everyone has a key. Okay, you can lead another Jew to Christ, and that's what you see. And then you come to Acts chapter 8. Okay, you see, Jesus told them, you'd be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the earth. But they were stuck in Jerusalem. You know, trials come to get us moving. Okay, in Acts chapter 8, Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Did you hear that? He said, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but they needed to be scattered through persecution into Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, all right? And after they buried Stephen, the Bible says in Acts 8 and 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. He was one of the first seven deacons and preached Christ unto them. Pay attention. And people with one accord gave heed unto those things, which he did. I better move on quickly here. And Philip, and they saw the miracles that he did for unclean spirits were crying, you know, all of that stuff, all right? There was great joy in the city, verse 8. But there was a certain, huh, by a man called Simon, which before time had in the same city, used sorcery to bewitch the people, giving himself like he was some great one. See, the devil can do some miracles too. Benny Hinn, there are a bunch of them guys out there, okay? Don't believe the hype, okay? Your message is what matters, okay? To, they all gave heed to Simon. Anyway, Philip went down there and he preached. Now, let me tell you what happens here, all right? It says in verse 12, this is very, very critical. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Did you hear that? They were baptized, both men and women. It says, though, in verse 14, now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Don't forget, it was Philip down there. And he baptized them. But guess what? The Spirit hadn't been released upon them because Peter had the key to open the door to the Jew first, then to the Samaritans next, and then to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. Then he would have completed his task. Okay? But he has only, this is his second time using the key. Okay? And we will look at what happens now. All right? So, Peter, look at what happens. Verse 14 is important. It says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. It was Peter. He had the key. For as yet he was fallen on none of them. They only were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're watching a transition occur. And you know they're trying to use this too. You got to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you can tarry for the Holy Ghost. I know groups around here that do that and teach that nonsense. Okay? You got to tarry for the Holy Ghost. What are you tarrying for? What, you got to come from too far? What, what's happening here? God can't come now? 
What you got tarry for? Piece by piece, your sins being carried. What? That's not how this thing works. But they take scripture that is in a transitionary period, and we're watching a transition of the gospel, and they try to run with it. So all of this contemporary mumbo-jumbo that we're wrestling with in this charismatic movement and all this stuff comes out of the book of Acts. They call themselves apostolic churches or, or Pentecostal churches and all this kind of stuff. Listen, they got it all twisted. God was doing something, and he was bringing the entire planet into his program, and Peter had the keys to open the doors. So now you see Peter opening the doors to the Samaritans. And guess what you see after that, okay? You see that he has to deal with that Simon the sorcerer who saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. That's what he thought, but that was only with Peter. Yes, Peter had to come down and lay his hands on them because he had the key to open the door. That's the only reason that's all about. Now you got folk trying to lay hands on people all over the place. What is going on? People want to anoint you with oil and all that stuff. It's in, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Okay? You're mixing so much stuff together, and you take a whole hodgepodge of theories and doctrines, and you put them together, and one of them got a stick is, I guess, the attitude. But it's all wrong. Simon Peter is the instrument through whom God is opening the doors to his kingdom of heaven on earth. So we see Jews in, now that Peter have opened the door to Samaria, any Samaritan can lead a Jew to Christ, and any Jew can lead a Samaritan to Christ. But guess what? No action for the Samaritans or for the Gentiles yet, okay? So now, any Jew can preach to a Samaritan that Peter have laid his hands on the Samaritans. He opened the door, and any Samaritan can lead any Jew to Christ. But then we got a problem. So Peter has used his keys twice to open two doors, okay? And he has been taught twice lessons in threes. Now it's time for the third use of the key and the third lesson, Cornelius's house, Okay. There was a certain man in Caesarea, okay, called Cornelius, a centurion, an Italian, all right, a devout man. You familiar with this story? We talked about it before. Now, this man was praying. Verse 3, he saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day, okay? That's, what time is that? Nine, that would be three? Three o'clock, okay? Yeah, that's three o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour of the day. He saw an angel coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius! And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, your prayers and your arms, you know, the good deeds that you've done, are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose nickname is Peter. Okay, he lodged in one Simon, a tanner. He's with a tanner? No, that's problematic too. Whose house is by the seaside? He shall tell you what you ought to do. And I said last week, I'd have grabbed that angel and said, wait a minute, something is wrong here. You're shining, 
You all clean. I know you didn't. You're not from down here because you sure didn't walk here. Okay. And I just opened my eyes and here you are. You're coming from the presence of God. You look so nice and crisp and clean. I've never seen anything like you. And you telling me that the message that I need, you can't give it to me. And you're coming from the very presence of God. Now I got to send to Joppa for Simon Peter to give me a message. Why? Why can't you give me the message? You're coming from the presence of God because this message was not given to angels. All right. By man came death and by man is going to come the resurrection of the dead. Angels are standing down during this dispensation. You don't have to worry about angels watching over you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We've got God, the Holy Spirit on board. You think I'm going to trust anything to an angel? When God trusts me to his spirit and gave me his spirit? No, I'm not looking down. I'm looking up. Okay, I know where my power comes from, and Jesus is my Lord, and I've got access to him. I don't need an angel to go before me with anything now. So please understand. So now, as these men, this man Cornelius is sending down to Simon the Tanner's house, which is going to take a day and a half journey from where he is, okay? And as they're journeying, okay, it says in verse 9, and on the morrow... As they went on their journey and they drew near to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Uh-oh, okay, that's 12 noon. Peter is on the upstairs porch, okay? And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending upon him, a great sheet knitted in the four corners. You familiar with the passage? And it was let down to the earth, all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air, stuff that were not kosher, stuff that the Jews were not given the privilege of eating. And there came a voice unto him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And it happened again. And then it was done. Verse 16 says, this was done three times. Oh, my God. And the vessel was received up into heaven. Now, while Peter was trying to figure out, verse 17, while he doubted in himself what the vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry at Simon's house. So he comes down the steps after they tell him there's some men at the gate for you, scratching his head, trying to figure out what was that lesson all about? You know what preachers try to tell us? That text says you can eat whatever you want. It does not, okay? It had nothing to do with food. The Lord was teaching Peter to call nothing that he has cleansed common or unclean. Peter had a problem with Gentile people. Even after he went to Cornelius' house, Paul had to threaten him and chastise him because he was found with fault. Because when Jews came around, he withdrew himself from the Gentiles. And when the Jews weren't around, he fellowshiped with the Gentiles. You know how it is, okay? So a lot of people do that stuff. You know, sometimes you're living on one side of the fence and you get around your friends and your peers. You can't act like you have a white friend or you can't act like you have black friends. You know what I'm saying? Well, a lot of people for different reasons have gone through all of that kind of stuff. You know, you get around this group and you, you know, all the handshakes and all that stuff. And you get around the other group and you act real dorky. You know how it is. OK, because you got to cover yourself. You know how it is. But that's what Peter always did. But I want you to know, this third time that that sheet came down, 
and the vessel was received again into heaven, Peter was really blown away at that point because, wait a minute, another lesson with trees? So now he didn't know what to do. But guess what? The angel of the Lord told him, Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Okay? That's what the angel said to Peter. Okay? Huh? That's what you, I mean, that's what happened. That's verse 20. Then Peter went down, and he brought the men in and lodged them, and the next day he went with them to Cornelius' house. And guess what happened? This is where it all clicks for him. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them. We're in verse 23, okay? And certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. That's important. That's very critical because God needs witnesses right now because guess what? He's about to pour out his spirit upon the Gentiles and the Jews wouldn't believe it at the Jerusalem conference. So Peter went with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. That's very important, because a couple of years later, they'd have to stand up as witnesses. You don't forget, you need two or three witnesses, okay? And they would have to stand up and say that the same spirit that we received also was poured out on the Gentiles. That was important. That's why others went with him. And when they entered into Caesarea, it says in verse 24, the today after they left, they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them. He had called together his kinsmen and their friends. And look at what it says in verse 25. We're in Acts 10, 25. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter took him up saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. In other words, you understand what's going on here? Peter's message is more important than the angel's message. Cornelius knows that. That's why he bowed down to Peter, because an angel come to me to tell me to send for you. So it must mean that what you're doing, the angel can't do. So you must really be something. So he bowed down to Peter, and Peter said no. You see, all God's chosen preachers and the like, they don't let people worship them. Okay, we're as fallible as anybody else. Okay, all we like sheep have gone astray. And when a man is preaching proper doctrine, you don't get the feeling that he's so holy above all the people and you are trying to attain to something that he is setting a standard. No, that's not how it works at all. All of us are fallible. All of us have to die a physical death because the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And anybody who tried to make that a standard of your salvation, you know, what they consider holiness, not what God considers holiness. Holiness today is you faithfully relying on Jesus Christ. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. I don't care how you think you live. You got it wrong. All right, because there are none that sinneth not. And the preacher or the organization who tell you that you have to be sinless to get saved or after you're saved, they're lying. It's a flat out lie. It's a bold-faced lie. And if they give you the impression that they're living without sin, they're lying. Because if you could live without sin, you wouldn't have to die. You can go to heaven with this body. Why can't God glorify this physical body that I'm in? You know why? Because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. We understand that. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This corruptible flesh must put on uncorruptible flesh. This mortal must put on immortality. Then shall be brought 
to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. So we understand all that. So all these people who set a standard, I had a preacher tell me once, you know, now that I've accepted Christ, I stopped sinning. You're lying. Anybody, if that's the doctrine, you know it's a lie if you believe that nonsense because nobody can do it because you can't do it and you haven't been able to do it. So you're hiding and you get of the impression you're not saved because you're not perfect like the pastor. Okay? It doesn't work that way. He's a wreck just like you. And if he's preaching that he is self-righteous, then he's the worst possible of all things because he's setting you up for Mission Impossible. So please understand, Peter's message was more important than the angel. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Look at what happens now, okay? Verse 28 of Acts 10. And he said unto them, you have to get this. You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation? But God has showed me that I shall call no man common or unclean. Peter understood the vision that he had two evenings ago, all right? It wasn't about dietary restrictions. God was teaching him to call nothing that he has cleansed common or unclean because Peter would not have gone to Cornelius's house. Peter did not know that he had the key to open the door for the Gentiles, okay? So he had to get that, that lesson for the third time, and that was the third time you saw Peter's lessons in threes, and that's the third time he uses the key. Now, when he opens the door at Cornelius' house, it's different. It says in verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. In every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. And Peter began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible says? Okay. You know, Peter is preaching about Jesus. And he says in verse 43, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, Whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Now you see the progression of the gospel. He didn't have to lay hands on the Gentiles. While he yet spoke the words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. You're watching a progression of the gospel. On the day of Pentecost, okay, Peter preached and he told them, you gotta, you gotta repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's what Peter said on that day. Then when they went down to Samaria, it was Peter, Philip doing the preaching. And guess what? He did all kind of healing. You know, those were signs for the Jews and the Samaritans. But guess what? After they had been baptized and all of that stuff, they still hadn't received the Holy Ghost because Peter had to open the door to the Samaritans next. Philip was a, a, a Jew, okay, and he was a deacon, but Peter had the key. So Peter went down to Samaria, and guess what? He laid hands on them. Boom. You see the transfer. Now he used the key. Now any Samaritan can lead another Samaritan to Christ. Any Jew can lead a Samaritan to Christ. Philip couldn't do it without Peter. Peter had the key. So now what you're looking at at Cornelius's house, we see God's method of operation played out. I'm not a Jew. So don't tell me I got to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I'm going to get the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not how it works for us. The charismatic folk who try to say it that way, they're wrong. They're not Jewish either. 
Then there's a group who try to tell you, we got to lay hands on you, like at, in Samaria. Okay, that was Peter. He had the key. He had to lay hands on them. It was a rite of passage. Please understand, he had to open the door to the Samaritans. They received the gospel. They heard the gospel message. They were baptized. Okay, but guess what? The Holy Ghost had not fallen on any of them because Peter had to release him. And then we see it at Cornelius' house the third time. So what happened was, that's the third use of the key. Now the door is open unto everyone. But I want you to understand this in verse 45 in Acts chapter 10. It says, And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because on that the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They didn't speak with unknown tongues. They were Gentiles. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Something unknown ain't going to magnify God. So please understand, that's just confusion. They don't understand what's going on in the Bible. You got to be born again in order to interpret Scripture. You got to get saved first. Then it begins to make sense. It's not going to make sense and then you get saved. It doesn't work that way. You need a preacher, actually. How can you hear without a preacher? You know, I mean, a lot of times it takes a preacher is any. Your pulpit is wherever men need to be pulled from their pits. So if you are a child of God, you are a preacher. Okay? How can they hear without a preacher? If you are saved, you can lead anyone to Christ. But guess what? If you're not, you can't lead anyone to Christ. Okay? So Peter they heard them speak with tongues. And Peter said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? That's verse 47. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed he them to tarry certain days. You know why that was necessary with all the extra witnesses that came with him? Okay? Because Acts chapter 15 cements the whole thing. All right? Acts chapter 15 tells us, okay, that it begins, certain men which came down from Judea taught that brethren and said this, except you be circumcised, as in the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So now you got Judaizers following the Christians around, telling them, you know, believing in Jesus may be fine, but unless you get circumcised and keep the Mosaic law, isn't that what the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witness and all the charismatic movements teach? It's just as wrong today as it was then. All of these cults believe that, okay? It's amazing how that happens. So that's what was happening in the early church. So the church came together, all right? It says there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 5 in Acts 15, you believe that? We're talking about people who are supposed to be saved. Now it's about works, not grace, works. And the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. And when they had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe? That was at Cornelius' house that we was just reading. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God, and put a yoke about the neck of the disciples, which neither we nor our fathers 
were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. For by grace are you saved through faith, my brothers and sisters. Okay? They dealt with this at the Jerusalem conference. Okay? In verse 14, Simon Peter declared how God at first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And Simon Peter was granted that key years ago when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Okay? Jesus told him, Ask them, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Simon said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood haven't revealed it unto you, but my Father hath chosen you. Okay? So I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And that's how the keys were used to bring all of us into the kingdom. Now that Cornelius's house have been brought into the kingdom, it means that any Gentile can lead another Gentile to Christ. Any Gentile can lead a Samaritan to Christ. Any Gentile can lead a Jew to Christ and vice versa. Because Peter opened the doors for all of the groups as Jesus declared that he would. Now, have the door been opened to you? Jesus said, I am the door of the sheepfold. That's what Jesus said. Okay? I am the good shepherd that give his life for his sheep, okay? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That's what Jesus said about himself. Do you believe that? Okay. Do you believe it? That I am he? That's what Jesus said, okay? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the Christ. And if you're going to enter into a relationship with God, you've got to come through his son. Jesus is the one who prepared the way for us. Jesus is the one who shed his blood on Calvary's cross. The Bible says that almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. We understand that. So Jesus is the one who shed his blood. And because he was innocent, he was born of a virgin that preserved his sinlessness. You see, if Jesus had an earthly father, he could have only died for himself because sin is passed on through the male seed. Read Romans, the third chapter. Wherefore, as by one man, I believe chapter five, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And now death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Wherefore, as in Adam, all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So Jesus came as the last Adam and he was sinless just as the first Adam was. But, and he was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So Jesus qualifies to be our savior. And God the Father said that if you believe that he died on the cross, that he was buried and that he arose again from the dead, your faith in Jesus and what he has done, his death, burial, and resurrection, you actually qualify to be saved. So if you believe that Jesus died on the cross according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he arose again on the third day according to the scripture, let's just pray together. Just repeat after me. Come on, let's pray. Let's give your heart to the Lord right now. You'll be as saved as I am when we finish this encounter. That is if you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he was buried and he arose again from the dead. Just repeat after me. Pray with me now. Give your heart to Jesus now. 
Almighty God, my Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me so and sending your son Jesus to die for my sins in my place. Lord Jesus, you didn't deserve it. You couldn't die of your own volition because you were sinless. So you became sin for me on Calvary's cross. I don't have to understand it all, but you didn't say I had to understand it. You asked me to believe in, and I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were buried, and on the third day you arose again from the dead. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins as my Savior. Please, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and impart unto me and impute unto me your spirit. Give me your spirit to teach me your word, to burden me and compel me to do your will. And I know he will neither leave me nor forsake me. Thank you, Father, for hearing my humble prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving my sins and saving my soul. Amen. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now I hope you understand why you can leave all of the mumbo jumbo behind. We have Christ. We don't need anything else. We don't tarry for him. The spirit came instantaneously upon you. There's no physical evidence. You don't need it. We receive the spirit of God by faith is what the Bible says. So my friends, I love you. Another hour bites the dust. I wish we could continue this. We can go on like this. But these last few weeks have been, we've just used scripture. The scripture spoke for Himself, And faith cometh by hearing God's word. So no doubt you grew immensely through the last couple of broadcasts. I love you and thank you for your prayers and all of your support. Okay. And I'll see you guys soon. My producer is waving at me and stuff. Ernest Calhoun, so let's start a message today. Who? Ernest Calhoun. How you know? Praise God for the word. Spirit made it clear. I need those. And, you know, you got to write those down for me, man. Okay. Um, he's a dear friend of mine, man. He's taught here. Okay. You know, old, old man now. Okay. okay. House of the Lord. Nah, where was he? Yeah, he was at the house. No, he wasn't. No. I think he was at the chapel in Akron. This is where Ernest worship. He was, te he was a teacher. So he was at the chapel. Okay. At the house of the Lord. Not joking. Not joking. Yeah.